Hey sinners, Serotonin here, just dropping in with a quick intro. This podcast was originally written and recorded for Spotify, where I'm able to embed some ripper tunes between segments to support the topics, new releases, or particular artists which are discussed. This version has been adjusted to allow sharing on alternate platforms and unfortunately won't include those tracks, which might make my silly segues and transitions just a little bit strange. If you would like to be able to check out the songs that were intended to be part of this episode, jump through the Sin and Steel link tree to the songs from the Sin and Steel podcast playlist, or see the track listing in the description of the episode. Hello and welcome to Sin and Steel, the heavy metal podcast. I'm your host, Serotonin, and in today's episode, we're talking live music, mosh pits, and the metal brotherhood. There's always been a set of both spoken and unspoken rules that people generally adhere to at heavy metal gigs, and particularly in mosh pits, that help make them a safe and enjoyable space for everyone. These rules are usually handed down to newcomers, not only through actual conversations, but just by setting the examples and actively correcting the behaviours at gigs. Post-COVID, after lockdowns and with a lack of real-life interactions at gigs, we've had a lot of newbies start to join the overage gigs who've come in absolutely kicking and screaming. They've missed out on that first year or two of learning, and in many instances, as seen by myself and reported to me by others that I know, there's been a noticeable shift backwards in the atmosphere of gigs. We always want and we need the new blood, and we can't blame the youngins for all of the bad behaviour but it does seem to have been a major factor of late. Outside of that, there's always bad eggs with bad intentions, and sometimes there's people who just join us that have only been to hardcore or punk gigs and they just don't realise that it's a different world with different expectations. So although there'll be an aspect to this episode that is aimed at helping share some of these rules and courtesies or start discussions around them, I've tried not to make it a lecture and I've also used it to explore a range of things that link in with the topic like the origins of different types of moshing, what happens when mosh pits go wrong, and some examples of artists stepping in and looking out for their fans. But if someone sends you this podcast, or more specifically this episode, they might be hinting that there's something in here that you need to know. Remember that although there are some similarities, punk and hardcore, and I would argue metalcore gigs as well, are very different to metal spaces. So for the context of today's discussions, we're talking specifically metal, because we're what? Metal as fuck. From my home state in Oz, that was Blood Duster with Metal as Fuck. If you want to talk about a good show, those guys are a really good time. When we go to shows, there are a lot of things to enjoy. We get to see the artists in the flesh, watch them perform in front of us, hear the power and the force of the live instruments and proper sound equipment, be blessed with all sorts of showmanship, we get pyrotechnics, use of props and so much more. But something that we can all enjoy at a very primal level is the different ways in which the music manifests itself physically. We all have these instinctual reactions to move our heads or our bodies with the music in different ways, or for some, just freezing into a dead still statue with our arms crossed. But whatever works for each of us, it enhances our experience and allows us to connect with the music and to one another. The whole process can really be good for your mental health as well, because it allows release of pent up emotions and energy and can be quite cathartic. One of the most common ways to move to heavy metal music is to bang your head. 
The origin of the term is forever disputed, with it being linked to Led Zeppelin's show at the Boston Tea Party in 1969, but similar reports coming from Cream's farewell tour in 1968. Lemmy once claimed in an interview that the term originated from the band's name, as in motorhead banging, but either way, it's been around for a while and it's always been most associated with hard rock and heavy metal music. Headbanging itself is moving your head up and down to the music, usually with some serious force. But I love the variation in headbanging. There's those mild little head taps, the, the little nods. There's throwing a little bit of shoulder in it, the bending down at the hips, full blown bangers, or what I find most impressive, those all out windmills. If we were to look specifically at front men, and you can look these up on YouTube if you don't know what I'm talking about, but some examples of opposite ends of the spectrum of headbanging would be, say, Jens Kidman of Meshuggah. He does these slower, sharper movements with his head, but what he lacks in movement or force, he makes up for in his facial expressions. But then, you jump to Corpse Grinder of Cannibal Corpse, and it's no wonder he has a fucking barrel of a neck. He windmills so fast, he looks like he's about to take off in flight. The reality of headbanging is that from minor strains and headaches to major spine and brain damages, it does have its risks. There's a lot of medical literature that discusses the connection between excessive headbanging and aneurysms, hematomas in the brain, and damage to arteries in the neck that supply our brains with blood. Some of the injuries people can sustain are similar to shaken baby syndrome. These have affected numerous musicians. For example, in 2011, Dave Mustaine was diagnosed with spinal stenosis from years of headbanging. Slayer's Tom Araya started experiencing spinal problems back in 2009 due to headbanging. It required him to undergo anterior cervical disectomy infusion. He recovered well from surgery, but he couldn't headbang anymore after that. Evanescence guitarist Terry Balsama had a stroke in 2005 that doctors suspected was a result of headbanging. And back in the mid-80s, Metallica's Cliff Burton suffered from serious neck pain all the time, as have numerous other musicians whose headbanging had them dealing with Whiplash! That was Metallica with Whiplash. So, what's a mosh pit? Well, when the crowd gathers round and their feet stomp the ground, that's a mosh pit. No, really. So when the crowd gathers around the stage to watch a show, a mosh pit is usually formed in the area in front of the stage and it's just an area where there's more activity, sometimes particular types of activity and movement in the audience. The size of the area might vary greatly depending on shows and there's a bit of crossover between the general crowd and the pit, but it usually starts a few rows back from the front barrier, which allows people near the front to still enjoy the show and take advantage of the prime headbanging and windmilling locations, while the main pit area is busy with movement. We'll talk about a few different types of moshing as we go. So mosh pits and moshing go quite far back and the origins are mixed depending on what you want to look at. But if we want to go back to, say, the late 50s and 60s, before moshing, there was skanking. This was the dancing that was done at ska and reggae gigs. It was already considered more aggressive than normal dancing. It involved running and stomping on the spot while doing kind of closed fist punches. But rather than it being done as a kind of group pit, it was done as an individual dance. In the 70s, the punks had the pogo. This came from cramming loads of patrons into a tiny venue and no one having room to move. 
So to let out that pent-up energy in that tiny little space, they'd keep their arms beside them but jump up and down on the spot. Apparently Sid Vicious tried to claim that he invented this move as a joke against people coming into gigs who weren't punk enough, but there's nothing that indicates this to be true and we know he talked a lot of shit. Moshing grew from these types of activities and became more popular through the 80s in the hardcore punk scene, with heavy metal following suit. The term started as mashing. There was a phrase to mash it up, which was to move and go with the music, which even tracks back to things like the Monster Mash. Mashing was used as a term in a bunch of punk fanzines and album sleeves around the time, but it was Paul Hudson, uh, HR of Bad Brains, who was credited for putting the term moshing on the map. He used the term in lyrics and in a lot of stage banter, but his thick Jamaican accent made the A sound more like an O and it got repeated by fans as moshing. We then saw the term get used more frequently in heavy metal and in the 80s we even saw tracks like Caught in a Mosh from Anthrax. Before we take a look at different type of pits, let's talk attire and hygiene. One thing to consider before you go to a gig is what are you going to wear? I can imagine that the top fashion priority for a lot of people before a gig, if they aren't just picking whichever shirt is cleanest, <coughs> guilty, is which band shirt they should pick. Do I wear a shirt of the headlining band from their last tour, show how much of a diehard fan I am? Do I wear something from the same subgenre? Do I wear the most obscure band shirt I can find for the most extreme and underground band there is because I want people to know how brutal I am? There are all types and I'm sure you know someone who fits into each of those categories. But as long as you don't show up in a Nickelback shirt, you'll be fine. No one gives a shit outside of commenting on the ones they really love and you don't have to wear a metal shirt if you don't want to. I saw an Am I the Asshole post on Reddit a few months back where a chick was going to a black metal gig with her boyfriend, but he ragged on her for the battle vest she was planning to wear because the big back patch wasn't black metal. She was super upset about it and really worried because he made it out to be this huge deal, like she was going to get picked on and in turn it would be really embarrassing for him. She wore it anyway and in the end no one cared, except for her sorry excuse of a boyfriend. What you should be considering for attire are things like footwear. Wearing something that provides enough support and grip, says the woman who almost always ends up putting on her converse and always regrets it afterwards. But they'll go a long way in keeping you from slipping over on spilt beer and keeping your feet and knees in good nick. If you plan on getting into the pit or you think you're going to get rough, and especially if you think you might try crowd surfing, then you don't want to wear any nasty spikes that are going to stab everyone or loose items that are going to fall, flail, or end up choking you or someone else. If that's your thing, no shame, but despite how close and intimate things may get in a pit, it doesn't negate the need for consent. Point being, don't wear loose jewellery, hoop earrings and stuff like that. Shit's deadly and you could get degloved. One I've seen a lot of people talk about is glasses, indicating that people shouldn't wear glasses in the pit. And if you can comfortably wear contacts, then cool, this might be a good option. But otherwise, I kind of disagree with this one as it's not always that simple. You just better be prepared to hold the buggers on. I'm going to add one more very specific recommendation. Don't wear stinky taxidermy foxtails in your hair while headbanging backwards into everybody else. Look, I actually collect and I've even made some taxidermy, so I've got no concerns about that. But at Download Festival, I was up front trying to enjoy my man Rob Halford with Judas Priest, and this chick in front of me had the stinkiest, rankest foxtail in her hair. And so when she was headbanging, it kept hitting me in the face. It's just gross. Just gross. 
I have a clip from a headbanger that came in a little too late for my intro episode and I wasn't sure if I was going to use it anywhere because I did feel like it may be a little bit insulting to some of my potential listeners, but I feel like it fits here. So here's Justin talking about some of the things he loves about heavy metal. There are a few reasons that I love listening to metal and I think that all of those can be seen to coalesce into the paradoxes that metal creates. Let me give you some examples. You've got a group of people who look and smell terrible all listening to this, but they are the nicest bunch of people you'll ever meet. Case in point, when you go down at a gig in a mosh pit, um, you're going to be picked up again by these people in as little as two seconds. Uh, The lyrical content is often about the worst of the worst, especially in the death and black metal scenes. And yet, You've got the most beautiful melodies in, in, in parts. You've got shrieking vocals, yet they're delivered with such passion. Um, another one is that the fan base are among the more intelligent in the community. Apart from the, shall I say, rebellion that I think metal represents, and it's arguably what attracts people, me included, in, in the beginning. There's a story, as many others have said, there's a, there's a brotherhood, uh, and for me, there's a there's an animalistic, uh, primal feeling about it. I can be listening to the most brutal stuff. Uh, let's say, for example, Nile um, or some of the more uh, Norwegian black metal bands, and people around me will say this sounds absolutely awful, and yet it's calming my heart. So, the paradoxes. And the fact that you ought not judge books by their covers are the main reasons why I love metal. Although I disagree with the comments on looks, being that many of us love the way metalheads look, the smell, that can be a reality at gigs. We're all going to be up in close quarters, sometimes with our arms up and pits open to our neighbours, so do try to make the time to shower before the gig. And if you're coming straight from work, don't be ashamed to go old school and have a whore's bath. Pack some wipes, go somewhere private, and wipe your pits, tits and bits. It's honestly a whole lot better than nothing, and it's much more considerate to others. Make sure you wear deodorant, but don't go mad. Um, I'm one of those suckers that are allergic to pretty much every damn perfume and scented deodorant around. I make sure I take antihistamines before I go anywhere with other people, but it's not always enough. So I might be a little bit biased here, but it is better to just use some basic deodorants and only what you need. You don't need to drown yourself in it. The only thing worse than stinky pits, farts and spilled beer is when that's mixed with a cloud of perfumes and scents that do nothing to mask the smell, only merge and make it worse. It takes the oxygen away and all we can do is choke. That was Choke Sermon by Lamb of God. Back to mosh pits, one particular type or activity is the circle pit. This is exactly what it sounds like. Everyone runs along the outside edge of the pit in a one-way circular motion. The area in the middle is usually kept open, though sometimes there'll be people who kind of hang out in the middle, headbang or mosh. 
With everyone running in a circle, there can be more people falling down during this than other pits, so sometimes anyone hanging around in the middle will keep an eye out and help up anyone who falls. There's been a video circulating at the moment where a guy proposed to his girlfriend in the middle of a circle pit, and as far as public proposals go, this one was fantastic. During a circle pit, keep those intrusive thoughts away. Do not trip or push someone into the people running. We don't need everyone going down like dominoes. A more brutal pit activity, once known as a Braveheart, is the wall of death. This is usually done when the vocalist or frontman pipes up and conducts the crowd. They divide them down the middle and once everyone's in position, they'll give the word and then everyone absolutely bolts to the other side, slamming back together. Some dickheads will hang about in the middle before everyone runs and this is dumb as shit. I don't know if these people are trying to act tough or if they just have a fantasy about being the meat in a metalhead sandwich, but it's dumb. Where the circle pit tends to be easier to avoid or position yourself away from the brunt of the movement if you need to, if you don't want to be part of a wall of death, you're generally going to have to move yourself a lot further away. The good thing is that a wall of death is generally an isolated activity and not going to be an ongoing part of the show. Some other mosh pit moves include what seems to be the default, the push or the pinball, where people bounce off one another and around the area. This was what was found by physicists who studied mosh pits to be similar to the movement of gas particles. This is also slamming, but in the metal scene, you aren't trying to hurt anyone around you. A really dumb one is wrecking, where people hit each other in the chest in time to the music. I think this is more of a hardcore gig type move and definitely not one to try with anyone who hasn't provided their consent. Otherwise, you might find yourself getting properly decked. Skanking is still a thing, but in hardcore punk and some metalcore scenes. As opposed to the old school ska type, these guys will actually be punching and kicking in close range to one another. Which leads us to crowd killing, an absolute no-no. You know that scene in The Simpsons where Bart and Lisa are swinging their arms around and walking towards one another? Okay, but on my way, I'm gonna be doing this. If you get hit, it's your own fault. Okay, then I'm gonna start kicking air like this. Uh, and if any part of you should fill that air, uh, it's your own fault. It's that. People are swinging their arms around and they're going in and trying to take out as many people as they can in their path. Mosh pits are a place for everyone. It's where we can all come together from all walks of life, but if someone's coming in actively trying to hurt people or make them have a bad time, they're the exception and they can fuck right off. The rest of us, we're bonded by blood. That was Exodus with Bonded by Blood. If you take a look at the lyrics of this song, it's about a group of metalheads coming together, united through their love of heavy metal. They talk about a rite of passage and as sinister as they portray it using a ritual with blades and blood, it's all just a metaphor that's used to express that in metal, everyone's united. It's about that feeling of being bonded by blood, but it's even stronger. It doesn't matter who you are, the diversity in the metal scene is immense, so it's a place where acceptance and tolerance is really important to allow us all to let our hair down and have fun. Unity is a running theme in heavy metal and the songs about it are endless. I've mentioned before I'm an absolute sucker for heavy metal songs about heavy metal so I could list a whole bunch, but another good example of this is Man of War Brothers of Metal. Brothers of Metal, we are fighting with power and steel, fighting for metal, metal that's real. 
Brothers of metal will always be there, standing together with hands in the air. Let us drink to the power, drink to the sound. Thunder and metal are shaking the ground. Drink to your brothers who are never to fall. We're brothers of metal here in the hall. When we're all there in that hall, that venue, that festival, wherever it is, we're brothers. We're united. We look out for one another and the never to fall, well, that's just one of the main rules of the pit. We pick each other back up. So outside of what we've already discussed, there are some key rules to the mosh pit. We're going to go with the top five and we're going to count up to the most crucial. So number five, don't bring your drinks into the pit. This one might be questionable to some. I know plenty of people who would ignore or maybe disagree with it, but it can make a big difference to the experience. The more drinks that are brought into the pit, the more we're all drowning in booze, slipping over on wet floors, having glass broken at our feet, or slipping on dropped cups and bottles. There's always plenty of space in the outer areas where you can comfortably drink before you jump into the main action, so you might as well go there. Water's a little bit different because we need to stay hydrated, but even then, if it's in a cup, it's probably not helping you anyway, and it's just gonna end up on the floor. Four, don't start pits in dumb places. I have a clip here from the Reels of Steel guys that fits perfectly. Have a listen. I don't know. I mean, what's the what's the best and worst places to start a mosh pit? No, like if best is like gig and worst is like at a funeral, maybe. You <laughs> walk <laughs> someone into the fucking grave. <laughs> this is what he would have wanted. <laughs> So there's a main area in front of the stage. That's the pit area. Sometimes, sometimes, depending on the venue, smaller areas might break out. And this can be fun, um, especially at festivals, that can be really fun. But we really need to be cautious of where these are. I've seen dickheads pushing people around on stairways, at entrances to the bathrooms, and even directly at the bar. None of those are good places to start a mosh pit. Three, don't try to involve people outside of the pit. There's an understanding that joining in the activity of a pit is voluntary. You don't drag people in who don't want to be there, you don't push them in, and you be conscious of the boundaries of the mosh pit, respecting those on the outside. Anyone on the outside who's kind of near the edges is usually going to be pretty understanding that there's going to be some impact, but that doesn't mean that we need to slam into them excessively. Two, don't actually try to hurt anyone, or no karate in the pit. Although there might be a little bit of pushing, this is meant to be all in good fun, not an actual act of aggression. There's no kicking, hitting, biting, scratching, or other acts of violence in the pit. Some people will try to use the phrase, if you can't take the hit, stay out of the pit, to try to make you feel like you shouldn't be in there. But those are usually the same type of people who will use slurs or insults and then hide behind the words, I was just joking. In other words, they're usually assholes who are going in and trying to actually hurt people. If you find things expand or escalate and you're uncomfortable, make sure you relocate. But if it's jerks like this, they're bullies and you don't need to back down. You'll usually find that they make themselves a target and there'll be a bunch of other people who will step in and call them out on their behavior as well. And one, the most important rule, or maybe equal to rule two, but kind of from the opposite side of things, is to look out for one another. If someone falls, help them back up. We always have to have each other's back. If I were to summarize these five rules into only two, they'd be one, don't be a cunt, and two, be excellent to each other. Now let's take a quick break with Gamma Bombs, Mussolini Mosh.
If we take a look at the darker side of mosh pits, we do see a range of injuries, with it being somewhat commonplace for people to end up with scrapes and bruises, sometimes broken bones, and occasionally worse. On the worst side of the scale, though, are deaths. Back in 1996, a 17-year-old girl was wounded during a Smashing Pumpkins concert, ending up dying later on in hospital. As we mentioned in our Into the Pit segment in the last trivia episode, a 16-year-old girl was crushed and killed at Big Day Out Festival in Australia in 2006 during a Limp Biscuit performance, adding another to the total nine recorded mosh pit deaths between 1994 and 2006. Smashing Pumpkins made the list again in 2007 when a 20-year-old man was found unconscious in their pit, also being pronounced dead at the hospital. Considering the intensity of the mosh pits in heavy metal, and that I was unable to even confirm which of these nine deaths were linked to heavy metal directly, outside of Limp Biscuit, I would say these numbers for us are low, and I think it's a major reflection of the way mosh pits are handled in our community. Regardless of what types of bands were involved, if you compare those nine deaths over 12 years to the one event at Astroworld Festival in 2021 that resulted in 10 deaths in one evening, it certainly highlights the difference. I'm going to guess that most people listening will have heard about Astroworld, but if you haven't, or for a refresher, here's the rundown and the latest news. In November 2021, the Astroworld Festival was held in Houston. While rapper Travis Scott was performing, the area in front of the stage, which was way overcrowded, had people pushing towards the front, crushing people within the pit. The thing is, it wasn't a crowd surge, a stampede, or any particularly violent or forceful event. It was just people pushing towards the stage and collapsing the crowd. But because it was so compact, people couldn't breathe. The event was way overcrowded and reportedly they didn't have suitable barriers, amongst other things. 25 people were rushed to the hospital, about 300 other people suffered injuries and 10 people lost their lives. Amongst the lives lost was a nine-year-old child and a 14-year-old, with the others spanning up to 27 years old. The videos that circulated following the event are incredibly haunting and, if I'm honest, they kept me up at night for a while after the fact. As someone who's been to some brutal gigs and festival shows, seen plenty of injuries, but seen bands, staff and other audience members actually taking care of people, to see something like this happening was absolutely unreal. There were clips showing people in the crowd screaming and crying and yelling that there were people dead in the pit. There were patrons climbing up to the stage, up on equipment and anywhere they could get, asking the venue staff, the camera crew, anyone they could get to, they were asking them for help, but they were ignored and the show continued. News has just come out that a grand jury has confirmed that neither Travis Scott nor the organisers of the event will be facing any criminal charges. They claim that there wasn't enough evidence to charge them with a role in the deaths. The families are now left to go through civil suits, which there are many of open, and I hope they take them for absolutely everything they've got. The district attorney had this to say, it's tragic that 10 innocent people were killed while trying to enjoy an evening of music and entertainment, something that many of us do routinely and without second thought to our safety. But a tragedy isn't always a crime and not every death is a homicide. Houston's fire chief at the time of the event made comments about the venue's setup saying that it was inadequate, and they stated that Travis Scott and the event organisers should have stopped the show when they realised the crowd were in danger. The event organisers agreed, but in a very low-effort comment of, well, that's one way to do it, yes. There seems to have been a bit of back and forth regarding who's responsible for these sorts of events, the event organiser or the performance. And 
I think that the organizers have the responsibility for the event, sure. And they need to ensure that there's a proper setup, suitable barriers, that they aren't going over capacity. But they also have to have emergency plans in place so that if something like this happens, they know what to do. The onus isn't on the performers. However, they are the conductors of the show. They do have some moral obligations too, and if they can do anything, they should. Travis Scott was already known for being a troublemaker, encouraging fans to engage in unsafe activities. He was arrested at one show after inciting a riot. I know that's not something we've never seen in metal before. Uh, but he was also accused by police in 2015 of urging fans to jump barricades and in 2017 of encouraging fans to jump from balconies. During this, one man was forced over the balcony from the third floor, breaking bones and he was left paralysed. So Travis is a pretty shit dude. At the time of the event, Travis claimed he had no idea what was happening during the show. But then in court, his attorney defended him by saying that he tried to stop the show multiple times. So which one is it? Because those things do not align. Scott Ian of Anthrax had some fantastic comments to make about the event, including from the perspective of a performer. He said, If I'm egging the crowd on to get more crazy, I'm also keeping an eye on them the whole time. And if something starts happening, we stop the show and that diffuses the whole thing. I don't know what planet you're on if you're performing on stage and you're oblivious to what's going on in front of you. That was Tear with Blood of Heroes. So if we take a look at bands who actually pay attention, the ones who look out for their audience, there are plenty of examples in the heavy metal and hard rock spaces. There's that very famous video of Chester Bennington stopping a Linkin Park show, chanting, if someone falls, what do we do? The crowd responding, pick them up. In the early 90s, Kurt Cobain stopped a Nirvana show when he saw there was a man assaulting a woman. He confronted the guy, then went back to his mic saying, copping a feel, eh, buddy? The band then points at the guy and they tell everyone to look at him, making sure that he was properly humiliated. Zach De La Rocha stopped a Rage Against the Machine show when a guy ripped a woman's shirt off and made sure that guy was removed from the venue. Corey Taylor has stopped a couple of Slipknot and a Stone Sour show when crowds were getting rowdy, checking in on people and making sure people parted ways to let in the medical crew as needed. Matt Heafy of Trivium once hopped down into the security area to help with a crowd surfer who'd lost their bearing, though the band did keep playing during that one. M Shadows stopped an Avenged Sevenfold gig when they noticed someone was knocked out in the pit. They stopped, made sure security had collected the person and got them to safety before they continued. Ivan Moody and Zoltan Bathory of Five Flavor Fruit Punch stopped a show when a guy sustained a compound fracture on his ankle in the mosh pit. They threw down their gear, jumped into the crowd and then carried the guy onto stage where he was then taken by paramedics. Dave Grohl stopped singing to call out a man in the crowd who was starting fights. He said, Hey, motherfucker, look at me. Get the fuck out of my show right now. You don't come to my show and fight. You come to my show and you fucking dance, you asshole. I don't put up with that bullshit. You people come here to have a good time. That guy can fuck off. Making this list in multiple instances is Iron Maiden. Bruce is an absolute legend. He stopped a show in Vegas once, or at least he stopped singing and interrupted it, so that he could tell a guy to stop picking on girls and pick on someone their own size. He called him a fuckwit and then had him removed from the show. During a gig in Tacoma, the security guards were beating on a fan, so he stepped in, told them to stop, and commented that he hopes that the kid takes them to the fucking cleaners. On one of the many occasions I've seen Iron Maiden, this one up in Queensland, Bruce stopped singing to have a go at a guy in the crowd. 
My memory could be a little bit fuzzy, but I'm pretty sure it was during their encore, right before they were playing Blood Brothers, which just made it even better. They just played Number of the Beast and some guy was getting really violent to people around him. So Bruce stopped and told him to stop being such a cunt. He said he should come up there and face him directly or piss off. And then like the wonderful frontman he is, he used that to lead into a short bit about how we're all connected, we're all brothers, and then led into the song Blood Brothers. This isn't even half of the examples I made note of when preparing for this episode, but you get the drift. Some artists have preferred to take a stance against moshing completely, with Smashing Pumpkins, I mean understandably after their track record, speaking out against moshing at their shows. Bands like Fugazi and Real Big Fish have plenty of songs sharing very anti-mosh sentiments. And people like Mike Portnoy of Dream Theatre have been very vocal about not wanting to be part of mosh mentality. They've gone so far as to giving seated venues priority over standing, purely to avoid it where they can. Wherever you stand on the topic, the reality is that there are risks. But if people call out bullshit behaviour and look out for each other, these are usually low or risks that many are willing to take for the payoff. But when we look out for one another, we make it a much safer environment than what they'd be otherwise. Things you can do to look out for yourself are to be aware of your surroundings. If you feel like things are getting a bit too much, just get out. Don't be afraid to push your way out if you need to. Most people are going to be able to tell the difference between someone eager to get out of the pit versus someone that's being a jerk or trying to push their way through to the stage. They'll make room for you. If not, tap someone on the shoulder, point up and see if you can get help crowd surfing. People will then move you towards the barriers where you'll be welcomed by the arms of security guards. Crowd surfing for those purposes is perfectly fine. In all other cases, it can be an absolute pain in the ass, ending with everybody else getting kicked in the face. But for the surfers, it has been shown to be one of the most common causes of injuries at gigs, from people falling from a height, getting crushed, trampled, or hitting their heads on the floor. If you are going to crowd surf, remember to think about what clothing you're wearing. Put your bags, coats, and other loose items in the cloakroom and just be courteous. Make sure you crowd surf from a reasonable area where it's well populated. If you try to surf from somewhere outside of the mosh pit or where there aren't as many people, don't be surprised if you get dropped. And please don't surf over and over. The only thing worse than getting kicked in the head by crowd surfers is getting kicked in the head by one crowd surfer who doesn't know when to call it quits. Generally speaking, if you're in a pit, look out for crowd surfers the same way you would anyone else. We do our best to support them, we move them towards the barrier and try to protect ourselves as much as we can. But as a surfer, you're assuming everyone's going to be able to lift you up. It's kind of on you when they can't. This shouldn't have to be said, but I know it kind of does. Crowd surfers and moshers in general are not fair game for groping. We're crammed into a tight space, but bumming the people in front of you, grabbing butts, grabbing boobs, it all falls under the only if they can give informed and enthusiastic consent category. There are always people around who are happy to call out and get confrontational with gropers, as they should, so just don't assault people and don't be surprised if you get decked if you do. We're going to take a quick break with Death Angel, Kill As One. For our last little portion of gig etiquette, let's talk about band interactions and supporting the artists. Firstly, the bands are there to put on a show for us, and getting in their way, no matter how gracious they may be about it, can end really badly and you might be putting their safety at risk as well as your own. Don't try to get on stage without an explicit invitation and just keep out of the performers' faces. 
Different bands will have their own ways of interacting with crowds and will usually provide indicators when they want you to get involved. Like shaking hands from the stage at the end of the show or when they move out towards the audience in particular ways. There's been instances of artists snapping back at people and generally very fairly. Angus Young once had a guy throwing glasses of beer at him during an ACDC set. He pointed them out to security, but another beer came hurling towards him. So he put down his guitar, walked over to the guy and in a hilarious move, rather than just punching him, he pinches the guy's nose, yells at him and then pushes him towards security. How hard is it to just not throw shit though? Do we need to add that to our list of rules? Don't throw shit. <laughs> On a darker note, Randy Blythe was arrested back in 2012 after a 19-year-old stormed the stage at a Lamb of God gig and got in the way of the band. Randy pushed him and he fell back into the crowd, but he hit the ground badly, so he sustained some injuries that ended up being fatal. Randy was cleared of charges in 2013. As some fans have found out the hard way, getting in someone's face extends to phones as well. When fans started congregating on stage at a Rage Against the Machine gig and pulled out their phones, Tom Morello swiped a phone and piffed it into the crowd. He later shared the videos that were going around and said, put a phone in my face on stage and I'll throw it. Rob Halford has talked before about people sticking phones in his face, but in one incident, a fan had the phone in his face and then turned on the torchlight. This was very distracting and off-putting, understandably, so he kicked the phone into the crowd. He said later that, the fact is we love our fans and you can film us all you like, or watch our shows on your phone rather than in the flesh if you really want to. However, if you physically interfere with the metal god's performance, you now know what will happen. Seriously though, can we put the phones away? I get wanting to take a couple of pictures or maybe record part of a song or your favorite song, but holy fuck, it's just too much. I'm a short ass, so when everybody in front of me has their phones up the whole damn time, I can't see anything but their screens and I'm watching the fucking gig through everyone's phones. And I swear, it's almost the entire damn time. I'll try to relocate and find a new spot and then two seconds later, it's just phones everywhere again. I know we all enjoy things in different ways, but come on guys, can't you enjoy the actual show? Besides, if you're anywhere near the pit, you're likely to get your phone knocked out of your hand and broken anyway. Just put it away. When we go to gigs, we're getting that joy of the live music, but we're also buying tickets and supporting the artists that we love. And that's a really important part of it all. So some other ways you can support the artists are to buy their merch. Touring costs a lot these days, and it's getting harder for a lot of bands to actually make money off the shows. So where you can, get the merch. If you can't get the merch at the show, get the merch through their websites when you can. Many of us might not buy physical CDs all the time anymore, but even if you're using streaming services, you can still go and buy the digital versions of albums through places like Bandcamp, where it also allows you to give extra to the artists if you want, sometimes buy merch um, or give them tips. And what can you do that's absolutely free? Share the bands. Recommend them to others, hype them up, get more people into them, get more people going to their shows when they come out, buying their merch, whatever that may be. I hope you've found this gig etiquette segment interesting, but now we're going to go jump into recent heavy metal news and new releases. As always, any new releases I mention, along with many more, are available in the Sin and Steel 2023 or other relevant new release playlists, which you'll find in the Sin and Steel link tree listed in the podcast bio. To kick us off, in the world of death metal, Crypto have released the single Trial of Traders. I can't wait for the album to follow that one. 
They did release a clip for this one and it's simple but really cool. They're set up in like an abandoned building, kind of playing in different sections, all overgrown and full of rubble. The camera moves between them with creepy lighting that follows only where the camera goes, kind of Blair Witch style. They all look badass and Fifi gives us plenty of her iconic growly faces. Fifi shared a post a few weeks ago when she went to see Beyonce live, where she was absolutely bawling her eyes out while singing along. It was fantastic. I've seen captures from this being used in response to her post, so it's clearly given lots of people some amusement. She also recently shared an update and accountability post regarding the GoFundMe that helped them cover some of the costs from their van that was damaged in the tornado during their American tour with Morbid Angel. It's really good to see that sort of transparency, but man, they got fucked around. In other death metal, Cannibal Corpse have released a new single, Bloodblind, and announced their next album, Chaos Horrific. Cataclysm released the single Die as King, Pyrexia released the album System of the Animal 25, and Imperishable have a ripper of an album with Come Sweet Death. Things certainly haven't been quiet here, but unfortunately I had no gigs this past month. There were a few I would have liked to have gone to, but some others that I wanted to put my money towards for later in the year. It's awesome that more bands are starting to come back out and I'm seeing more local gigs that I would really love to go and join, but shit's expensive and I live a fair way out from most venues, so it can be a lot. I'm open to sponsorship though. If anyone wants to sponsor me to go to more gigs, hit me up. I'm only half joking. <laughs> I do have Exhumed coming up in July, so I'm really looking forward to that one. Despite no live gigs, I can recommend a couple of great things to go and watch from the comfort of your own home. This includes the incredible Powerwolf show, Monumental Mass, which you can check out on Thunderflix. I was so keen to watch this. I saw it come up on Thunderflix the night before it was due, so I snuggled down and turned it on, but I was devastated when it crashed partway into the first song. I had to turn it off and then wait until it was properly accessible the next day. Everything about this show is up. The set design, the costumes, makeup, choreography, all of it is really cool and very beautiful to watch. Everything that they've put together complements the music and the performances really well. And of course, the cherry on the top is the sexy nuns dancing around in lingerie. You can't go wrong with that. On YouTube, the channel Art Concert, that's A-R-T-E Concert, which has quite the range, have just been uploading a bunch of stuff from Hellfest. I watched the Who show from this and it was absolutely fantastic. It's a must watch. I did catch them when they were out in Australia last year and they are wonderful. They manage to make a venue feel both tiny and enormous at the same time because they bring you in and they make everything so welcoming, but their show is absolutely epic. If you get the chance to see The Who live, go and see them. I did mention this in the last trivia episode, but Sabaton have been awarded the Enlightener of the Year Award from the Swedish Skeptics Association from their work on reporting accurate history facts. Tom Morello, ever part of protests, was out with the Medieval Times workers this month, Nights on Strike, where they were fighting for proper wages, health and safety, and better treatment of the horses. When he shared the photos of the event, this included a great picture of him in tights, back when he was also a Ren Fair worker. The Metalocalypse movie release has been announced for the 22nd of August, and I am so damn excited about this. It's not looking like we're getting any cinema screenings, unfortunately, but I am working on something of a screening elsewhere. In the lead up to the movie, they've released the single Aortic Desecration. Back onto some new releases, in power metal, we have Stray Gods with the album Olympus. From this album, here is Ghost from the Future.
Man, Greece in particular, Greek power metal, is absolutely killing it this year. First, we have Sacred Outcry with Towers of Gold, which is still sitting at my number one pick for 2023. But now we've been blessed with Stray Gods. Clearly, they have a lot of similarities to Iron Maiden and at first listen could almost be mistaken for them or for a Bruce Dickinson project. Well, it may come as no surprise then that one of the members has been in an Iron Maiden tribute band and another, strangely not the singer though, has been in a Bruce Dickinson tribute act. Those inspirations are bound to show. However, they aren't a straight up copycat. If you give the album a listen, you will hear some decent variation in the styles. This month also saw the release of Night Legion's album Fight or Fall, Fifth Angel When Angels Kill, and Jag Panzer with The Hallow, which has some heavy traditional sounds and a lot of squealing guitar. That's a really cool one to check out. In Thrash, Hellwitch released Annihilational Intercension, and the band Arkham Witch released the album Beer and Bullet Belts, which is an absolute trip. Um, I listened to this one on the new wave of traditional heavy metal YouTube page. It's absolutely thrash and the imagery is pure thrash. But some songs are more doom metal, some are a little death inspired. It's all over the place and very interesting to listen to. For some industrial, Godflesh released the album Purge. And we've had some great black metal this month. Marduk with the single Blood of the Funeral. Jiwo with the album Svan and Taka, which has a more melodic and folk feel. Uzlaga with the album Sunken Seer. And one of my favourites, the folky black metal Merka with the Ragnarok soundtrack. Off this album, here's Hell's Song. In other news, Till Lindemann of Ramstein has been facing accusations of sexual assault, physical assault, and the use of drugs on women at banned after parties. These accusations are currently under investigation, but did result in Berlin authorities placing a ban on Ramstein's after parties for shows that followed the claims. Bandmate Christoph Schneider has provided statements expressing how shocked the band members are of the accusations. However, he's also commented about there being lots of questionable, even if they are legal, practices often occurring at these after parties that he finds morally wrong. So time will tell, let's see what comes from these investigations. There was some drama happening over at Pull the Plug Patches this month. They've been doing really well, which is great because they're helping us get merch for our favourite bands, which in turn is supporting those bands. But this meant that they were needing to expand and this put pressure on their manufacturer. As is very standard in manufacturing, where there's growth, there's either a need to expand the business or to limit the amount of customers to which they provide so that their operation is actually feasible within their capacity. The manufacturer had to decline producing some work for another company as it simply couldn't take on the work. But then despite moving on and getting a new manufacturer, that competitor started getting shitty and has been slandering pull the plug patches in an aim to bring business across to them instead. It's a very scummy move. We've had a few new releases in the doom metal space, but I'm going to give a mention to Caravan for the album Unholy Mountain because it is super evil and badass. It sounds really cool. We've had some good ones under the traditional heavy metal banner, especially in regards to all-female or female-fronted bands. Doro has released the single Time for Justice and announced the next album due at the end of August, Conquerous, Forever Strong and Proud, which will include a duet with Rob Halford. Joan Jett and the Blackhearts have released the EP Mindsets. Female-fronted Crossed Hearts have released the album Forced Perspective. Unfortunately, it is not yet on Spotify, so I couldn't add anything to today's soundtrack, uh, but you can go and listen to it on places like YouTube and Bandcamp until then. 
and Legends Girl School have released the single, It Is What It Is. Thank you for joining me for today's episode. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to and share the podcast, follow me on social media, and feel free to reach out through email at sinandsteel@outlook.com. Check out my link tree to access playlists, including songs from the episodes, and for the Sin and Steel Redbubble store for merchandise featuring artwork by yours truly. This has been episode seven of Sin and Steel. I'm your host, Sarah Tonin, and Sinners, until next time, stay metal.